in civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. And so that's where the civil affairs relationship piece comes in really important, right? Is if I can build a relationship with an individual in a country that is a middle level leader, like we've been talking about, I can then stand in front of the State Department and say, hey, this individual really, really merits being nominated for your program based off the relationship that I've developed with this person and the fact that I know that they are going to be an important future leader in their country. Hi, and welcome to the One CA Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, John McElligot, and our special guest is calling from Camp Eric John, Lieutenant Colonel Marco Bongiovanni. He received his commission as a second lieutenant in the Quartermaster Corps through the ROTC program at Cornell University in 2001. He's a native of New York City and New York State licensed mental health counselor who works for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in his civilian career. He's a graduate of Cornell University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration, Fordham University with a Master of Science in Education, and the U.S. Army War College with a Master's degree in Strategic Studies. Lieutenant Colonel Bonjuani is a graduate of several military education courses to include the Civil Affairs Qualification Course, Command and General Staff College Intermediate Level Education, the Stability, Security, and Development in Complex Operations, SSDCO course, the Rule of Law Certificate course, the Reserve Component National Security course, and the Advanced Joint Professional Military Education. Lieutenant Colonel Bonjuani serves as an active duty logistics officer for nine years with multiple assignments at the company, battalion, and brigade level to include overseas duty in Germany, the Republic of Korea, and the Sinai, Egypt. In 2010, he transitioned to the Army Reserve and became a civil affairs officer. He has served in command and staff roles with the 353 KCOM, 411th Civil Affairs Battalion, and 304th Civil Affairs Brigade. Most recently, he completed command in the 401st Civil Affairs Battalion. Lieutenant Colonel Bonjuani has deployed twice in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and once in support of Combined Joint Task Force Horn of Africa. He is currently deployed in support of Operation Spartan Shield as detachment commander of the Civil Affairs Support Detachment Arsent in Camp Eric John, Kuwait. He holds several awards and decorations, including the Bronze Star Medal, Meritorious Service Medal, Army Commendation Medal, Army Achievement Medal, Presidential Unit Citation, Meritorious Unit Citation, and the Quartermaster Branch, Order of St. Martin. Lieutenant Colonel Bonjuani is engaged to Ms. Karen Prestigiacomo and is a proud son of Audrey and Antonio Bonjuani. Sir, welcome to the One CA Podcast. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, I, I appreciate your welcome there and, and uh, introduction. And, and sir, before we started the interview, uh, I was asking about your family's background and pronunciation of your last name. Could you share with listeners your family's heritage and uh, if, if you guys have done some ancestry history and research, um, where you trace your family? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so my, my father, I was mentioning, is Italian uh, and has you know, been a big part, certainly, of my uh personal cultural heritage, uh, but given to uh, civil affairs also having language ability, speaking Italian fluently and, and being pretty good at uh, French and Spanish has also helped at times uh, from, uh, you know, use of uh, language skills. 
yeah, I think having that multicultural background has, has been something uh, that helped motivate me uh, also to find interest in civil affairs when I came into the branch uh, in uh, 2010. Wow, that's good to hear. And are you getting uh, paid by the Army to do some of the language classes as well? Yeah, it's great. It's, it's always a good thing. I always encourage, uh, you know, any soldiers that have that, uh, that particularly if it's a home, uh, you know, grown uh, language ability. But yeah, I, uh, you know, getting a 3-3 in Italian, uh, you know, puts, puts a couple of extra hundred dollars in your pocket every month. It's a great incentive for civil affairs branch, you know, to, uh, to attract individuals that have that language skill, either from the home environment or, uh, you know, to, to motivate individuals to go to DLI and, and get additional, uh, you know, language training. That's great. Well, sir, we wanted to talk to you today about the International Visitors Leadership Program. Your day job is with the VA, but you're connected to the IVLP and have some background in understanding what that is and, and how it relates to civil affairs. Could we talk by framing for listeners an overview of what the International Visitors Leadership Program is, who runs it, you know, how long has this thing been around, and, um, and why you think it matters to civil affairs? Yeah, definitely. Um, my sort of knowledge with IVLP or the International Visitors Leadership Program uh, really is, is recent. Uh, it kind of started uh, at the start of the deployment that I'm currently on supporting uh, our CENT uh, here in, uh, in the CENTCOM AOR, uh, conducting civil military operations and planning. Uh, so in our connections with uh, the State Department uh, and various embassies throughout the AOR, and, and actually the team that was immediately before us, uh, had done some initial work in, in kind of finding out about this program along with the G34 uh, Civil Military Operations Director uh, back at uh, RCENT, who, who we work for. Um, the International Veterans Leadership Program is a State Department program. Um, it's sort of their premier exchange program, professional exchange program. It's been around for, for quite some time, uh, actually since uh, 1940. Uh, so it's uh, not something that's new out there, but it, it likely is new to maybe individuals from Department of Defense who, who have not necessarily heard of the program before or are aware of the program. It's kind of focused and run uh, through the U.S. embassies, uh, unless you've had you know, intimate connection with the U.S. Embassy or was, I've worked at a U.S. Embassy, maybe in, uh, uh, you know, Office of Military Cooperation or perhaps as a civil affairs practicant in, in some role or capacity. You likely have never heard of the program necessarily. Uh, and, and so it's, I think, something that is important for civil affairs um, operators to understand, particularly those that are not only working down at the tactical level, but even more so possibly at the operational or strategic level, as it is, again, a, a focused exchange program um, that really is uh, particularly marketed towards um, sort of mid-level leaders uh, in, in partner nations around the world. Um, and so it's not uh, something necessarily focused at those young you know, soldiers or officers uh, that may be uh, a lot of the DOD-driven uh, sort of educational programs have focus at uh, where, you know, we bring uh, a variety of different individuals back to the United States often to go through professional military training and courses and certifications, uh, you know, ranging from NCOES, OES to, you know, flying fighter jets, right? Um, and, and so uh, IVLP is focused much more at the mid-grade sort of operational level leaders of these different countries, the individuals that are going to be the leaders of tomorrow, and, and particularly within their civil sector. And so that's where I think civil affairs really uh, can leverage something like IVLP because uh, it's really targeted at civil sector entities. Um, while there are some military uh, components to it and individuals uh, that are in the security services with certain exceptions can be uh, nominated, um, it really is more targeted at the civil sector. 
And I think as you and probably many listeners know, DOD is limited in, in what we can do with the civil sector from a capacity building standpoint, as far as um, either um, authorities uh, or, or funding streams that we can actually access uh, to, to build capacity in those areas. Um, so I think that's a kind of a general overview of, of what the program is. Thank you, sir. And do you think that your role where you are right now in, in the Kuwait could be to help identify some civil sector leaders and then move them over, connect them to the embassy so they could apply? How would that work? Yeah, that's exactly kind of how, how we experienced it was in the uh, sort of engagements that we would have, uh, and particularly here in, in our scent and in the Sent Kame Awar, uh, one of our focuses uh, has been to build capacity for disaster uh, management and crisis response. Um, and so a lot of the relationships that we were building throughout the AOR, uh, particularly sort of in the phase zero environment in, in partner nations such as Kuwait, uh, Qatar, UAE, Jordan, uh, KSA, Oman, a lot of the GCC states, you know, the Gulf Cooperation Council states, and also up in the Central Asia region in, uh, in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. You know, we're building relationships there with entities within the host nation governments that do disaster response and crisis response, um, similar to their version of FEMA, essentially. Um, and, and a lot of the individuals that we were meeting were mid-level uh, leaders, um, you know, individuals that uh, either oversaw programs or oversaw training. And, you know, it really was through those contacts that we were able to identify these individuals and then through our connect connections with the State Department, uh, submit these individuals in a nomination process that basically State Department has for the IVLP. And where we can really leverage that um, is that relationship that, that civil affairs can build with these individuals um, that State Department may not necessarily uh, have the connections with directly through the embassy, because a lot of these individuals are kind of in that gray zone often of working maybe in the Ministry of Interior, but having sort of a, a focus at a crisis or disaster response, um, where it often kind of leads in between, you know, responsibilities, let's say, of the civil sector and those of the military. So um, that's been an area that we've tried to build those relationships in um, and encourage, obviously, uh, the Ministries of Interior, the Ministries of Defense to kind of work together uh, to address, you know, some of the varieties of challenges that are out there. And so IVLP has been a tool for us specifically to engage our civil sector relationships uh, and connect them back to State Department. And do you know where it sits within the embassy, for example, in Kuwait, when you look at the different uh, sections of the embassy, is it within consular affairs or political or who's the point of contact typically? Yeah. So our experience has been that it, it is uh, usually with the public affairs section uh, of each embassy. Um, and so uh, because it is a, uh, an exchange program, um, you know, its focus is sort of um, providing firsthand knowledge about U.S. society, culture, uh, politics, cultivating the relationships of that experience um, and sort of emerging, you know, these middle level leaders. Um, with their American counterparts um, back in the U.S., right? And, and sort of its core is to strengthen U.S. engagement um, advances and national security goals as outlined, obviously, by the State Department and other strategic uh, level documents. Um, so, yes, the, the public affairs section rightfully then has sort of the, the, the portfolio for IVLP often because uh, one of its key focuses, obviously, is, is engagement um, and, and sort of uh, painting uh, the... Uh, the picture of American society abroad. Um, and so this is amongst many things that uh, the, the public affairs sections often have uh, within Department of State um, to leverage as a tool. And, and like I said, it, it is 
considered uh, sort of their premier program. Um, so it is, it is one that is very well resourced, um, is very well uh, organized and structured. Um, and, and globally, you know, just to kind of have some, some metrics there. Um, in 2019, they celebrated uh, the 80th anniversary of the IVLP program uh, with 5,000 uh, international visitors per year um, and nearly 200,000 since 1940, like I mentioned. You know, 500 of those uh, as alumni are either current or former heads of state or leaders of countries. And so, you know, again, it's those mid-level leaders that then likely become the, the senior leaders uh, of, of those respective countries uh, towards the end of their career. There's generally an equal distribution of, of male and female, uh, and the average age is 25 to 44. So, you know, like I've been mentioning, it's not necessarily brand new individuals that have just come into their field of expertise, nor is it individuals that are preparing to retire or are at the senior point of their career because uh, that's not the target audience necessarily for the program. Folks, you've been listening to an interview with Lieutenant Colonel Marco Bongiovanni. We're talking about the International Visitors Leadership Program run by Department of State and the connection to the civil affairs community. When we come back, we'll speak more with Lieutenant Colonel Bongiovanni about how the program is run, uh, what role the DOD plays, and recommendations for the civil affairs community to leverage the IVLP. We'll be right back. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. Welcome back to the 1CA podcast. In our interview today with Lieutenant Colonel Marco Bongiovanni, we're talking about the International Visitors Leadership Program. Sir, you mentioned earlier that this program has been around since 1940, uh, just celebrated 80 years. What would you say are the most lasting impacts for both the international visitors and the United States? Yeah, so, you know, I think uh, it's really tailored, like I said, uh, to to familiarize individuals that are those mid-grade leaders, like we've been kind of talking about, with, you know, how American counterparts handle, let's say, uh, in the case that I mentioned earlier, uh, crisis and disaster response, which has been the most recent project that we submitted uh, and kind of conducted as a partner with the state uh, earlier this year. There's a variety of different projects, um, and, and I think understanding sort of the structure of IVLP is an important aspect uh, to kind of seeing how it can function and how it can be a leveraged tool. There's three basic types of, of IVLP submissions. Um, there's a traditional, uh, or sometimes called the classic IVLP, um, and this is a, uh, a formal slate of published, basically, projects that are published uh, usually with uh, a frequency every year around uh, the March uh, timeframe is when they were published this year. And when I say published, there's a list basically of uh, several dozen projects that State Department has already coordinated. And these already have the agenda set. They have essentially the dates set and they're basically for the next fiscal year. 
Uh, there's significant amount of planning involved, obviously, in structuring it all. And these projects are normally set up, uh, let's say, for 15 to 20 candidates, maybe, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. Um, they're usually all hosted, or they all are hosted back in, in the continental United States in different locations throughout the U.S. Some of them will be hosted with U.S. government agencies, others, let's say, with state or local entities, others possibly with local um, civil sector entities uh, or private industry, depending, again, on what the topic of, uh, of the project is. So the classic project, there's a, a formal submission that you submit a nomination packet for. Um, usually, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, there'll be one or two pages of administrative data, um, and you're submitting essentially for an individual. So uh, you nominate an individual. And so that's where the civil affairs relationship piece comes in really important, right, is if I can build a relationship with an individual in a country that is a middle-level leader like we've been talking about, I can then stand in front of the State Department and say, hey, this individual really, really merits being nominated for your program based off the relationship that I've developed with this person and the fact that I know that they are going to be an important future leader in their country. And so that's where that civil affairs relationship particularly comes important is being the person to nominate uh, the individual. The packet goes before a board. Um, most embassies hold their boards uh, sort of in the in the May timeframe, um, May to June timeframe. This year, they've been a little bit postponed because of everything going on globally. Um, but normally, it's a cycle that occurs kind of every year. Um, usually by June, uh, those packets have all been submitted back to state Maine and D.C. Uh, and then there's a decision made on which ones will actually be funded. And normally, uh, each embassy, again, depending on the size sometimes, as, my, as I understand it, can nominate anywhere between 10 to 15 to 20 individuals for a variety of different projects. So they're not necessarily all nominated for the same project. They could be 20 individuals nominated for 20 different projects. And, you know, those nominations, once they're approved, um, they're approved for the, for the following fiscal year. Um, and so then you can go back and basically tell that individual who you nominated that, hey, you've been selected for the program. It's a very prestigious program. And then from that point, State Department really takes over and, and kind of works all the logistics, all the coordination, all of the, the planning from a standpoint of, again, interagency effort. Um, it really is a great tool for DOD because uh, once that individual has been selected, the State Department really takes care of, of everything that has to happen to get that individual ready to go on the IBLP exchange. And also uh, after they finish, uh, become part of their alumni network, uh, which is also very extensive and it continues for, for the rest of the person's life, literally. So, you know, I think it's a great tool uh, to, to leverage from an interagency standpoint, and one that I don't think, again, DOD necessarily uh, knows that much about. There are uh, individuals, obviously, that work at the embassies, often in the offices of military cooperation, that may know more about this program, that have probably even done nominations. But the larger DOD sort of community, uh, particularly civil affairs community, uh, probably has, has little experience with it. So do you have any sense of when the State Department is weighing the background of individuals, does it really matter what part of civil society they're coming from or the host nation government? Do they need to speak English? A certain level of education. What are the basic requirements uh, of vetting someone or you think makes uh, a candidate from the host country most likely to be accepted than not? 
Yeah, no, it's a good question. So because this is a very organized program, like I said, and State Department does a phenomenal job of pulling it together every year um, in so many different facets and, and, and different project focuses, the projects are split sort of in between two different uh, lanes. And again, these are the traditional or classic ones like I've been talking about where you're nominating an individual usually. Uh, they have uh, projects that are um, basically regionally focused. Um, and when I say regional, they generally are focused at a geographic region that has one language. And so for our case, uh, the Middle East has a regional set of projects, and those are conducted in Arabic. And so they're conducted in the main language of, of that region. There are multiple different regions, obviously, globally, where they have different regional projects. And those are normally, again, uh, conducted in the language that is predominant within that region. And so for an individual that doesn't have English speaking ability, a regional project is generally more one that you would nominate for. Now, the regional projects globally are not done in every single language, obviously. So they are primarily done in, in the more fluently spoken languages within the regions, right? So Arabic certainly being one in our region, uh, Spanish, French, uh, some of the other ones I know that are done globally, and there are, there are many others. The other ones that are possible are what they call multi-regional projects. And so those essentially are global projects. And now that does require English fluency um, and uh, English fluency to the, to the sense that the individual needs to be able to converse and understand, you know, relatively complex conversations in English um, because the entire uh, exchange will be conducted in English. Um, what's interesting about the multi-region projects is the audience is global too. So if I nominated an individual, let's say from Kuwait for a multi-region project, they could be sitting in a room with individuals from 120 different, you know, countries backgrounds possibly obviously again the size is usually only 15 to 20 people but um, they could come from you know all countries around the world where we have diplomatic representation which I think is a really interesting scenario um, and again being conducted in English the regional ones like I mentioned um, for the region that we're in here in the Middle East uh, conducted in Arabic and it would just be the countries of the Middle East and North Africa where uh, primarily Arabic is sp spoken so those would be the peers that would be located sort of within those regional projects um, and you know I think what's interesting too about the classic program or the traditional program is uh, State Department uh, funds it totally so all the travel um, all of the lodging all of the expenses that the individual might incur totally covered including the international travel and so, you know, the individual really um, is getting fantastic uh, experience um, that requires, uh, you know, little from the host nation to be able to resource uh, or support. Um, you know, I will say that they're taken care of, certainly, when they come back to the U.S. and go to the different areas. You know, they are provided what we would normally be used to, let's say, going on temporary duty assignment somewhere. So it's, it's the standard uh, sort of lodging and uh, transportation that you would receive uh, as a DOD employee. Um, so I say that because it's not white glove VIP service. Uh, and so sometimes it is important to have that discussion with certain partner nations that maybe have an expectation of what these types of programs might look like. But by all means, it's not meaning that you're you're not treated well. Um, it's just that you're, you're treated within the limits of the joint travel regulations that we're familiar with in, in DOD2 from a State Department standpoint. Your final question for you today. What do you think is, your, what's your recommendation for the civil affairs community and everyone listening, uh, interagency partners as well, when they get on the ground, so if they're deployed somewhere or they're traveling and uh, they come across somebody that they think may be good for one of the projects, what are the steps that they should take to nominate someone if they're in the DOD community or civil affairs for the Army and Marine Corps? If they're a junior person, who do they talk to? If they're more senior, who do they talk to? 
what's the routing of that request and, um, and what's your best advice for how CA moves forward? The important part is to first establish a relationship with the embassy in the country that you're working in um, and, and to know specifically the folks in the public affairs section that might manage the IVLP program. And so, you know, if you were working at the tactical level, certainly going through obviously proper chain of command and, um, you know, engagement with the embassy, if there's a liaison uh, or an entity that's there uh, that primarily, you know, you go through as a DOD contact to be connected then through that individual to uh, the, the proper a public affairs section a person that manages this program. You're going to want to find out specifically uh, how that country treats IVLP. So while it is a State Department program, every embassy works slightly differently. Um, and so you're going to want to know, you know, what forms do they require? What timeline are they looking at? Are there any special requirements that that embassy specifically has? And then once you find that out, um, it, it's, again, going out and making sure that those relationships that you might be building uh, to the with the civil entity and civil components and kind of understanding what projects that embassy might be prioritizing. So each mission is going to establish kind of a priority of what projects they kind of want to see primarily nominated. Um, and it doesn't mean that the ones that you might have in mind uh, or the individuals that you might have in mind based off the projects that are there can't get approved. But if it aligns well with what the chief of mission or, or the ambassador wants for that country for projects, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're going to have much more success in nominating. But most of the projects that make the IVLP Slade obviously are done globally uh, with a global focus. And so many of them have uh, sort of a priority uh, for the State Department specifically. There are two other small nuances to the program, too, that I think are important just to quickly mention. Um, there's another option uh, called an on-demand IVLP, um, and we actually utilize that here as well in the last uh, several months of planning that we've been using uh, this as an asset. So the on-demand program, or on-demand IVLP, is an interesting uh, way also of approaching the program. Uh, basically what it is, it's a rapid response option. Uh, so instead of having to go through a boarded process, get selected for something the following fiscal year, on-demand can be executed sometimes within three to six months uh, from coming up with the concept to executing it. Now, there are some peculiarities about the on-demand. You develop the project yourself, um, and so you come up with what are the goals for the project, uh, what are the, the focuses, and you're working very closely with the public affairs section of that embassy. Usually on-demand projects are focused just at one country, uh, although they can be focused at multiple countries. It does have to get buy-in, obviously, by multiple embassies if you're going to do that but sometimes they're focused uh, easier just at one country. Um, and one difference with the IVLP on demand is the State Department does not fund the international travel for that. Um, so the host nation has to pick up the, essentially the, the fee for that or the uh, expense for that travel for that individual. They do cover um, any of the travel arrangements once the individual arrives back in, in the continental U.S. Uh, for, for any of the travel domestically. And those projects are actually a little bit shorter too generally. They only go maybe about 10 days uh, where the the ones I mentioned earlier can sometimes go up to two to three weeks, the traditional ones. And then there is a, a third nuanced one that um, is what they call a single country project. And a single country project is sort of similar. It's almost a hybrid of both. Um, so you submit basically a single country project. Uh, you create the project. You submit it just for one country. And you submit it in the same process that the traditional or classics are done. So there's a uh, basically a funding board that then either approves or disapproves it. And if it's approved, then it's funded for the next fiscal year um, with all the travel also included. So it's kind of a hybrid of both. And it allows, again, the flexibility for an individual to create an actual project and obviously has to get the embassy concurrence and uh, 
less off on in order to be approved in that process too. So, you know, those are kind of the, the, the three uh, areas you'll probably more frequently hear about the traditional or classic IBLP, um, but the on-demand and the single country can also be important things to leverage. Ultimately, the public affairs section at the embassy will be happy to talk to you about, you know, all the different varieties of projects that are available out there and how IBLP works, um, you know, should you have any uh, questions. I think what's important maybe to end with too is that Understanding IVLP is not a training program, all right? I think in DOD, too, when we see training, we understand, you know, what kind of that means, and we know that there are different authorities for training. IVLP is not training. It is specifically focused in exchange of ideas. It would be maybe similar to what we sometimes call a subject matter exchange in DOD, right, a SME. And so uh, it's important not to talk about training or refer to it as training or frame it in the sense of training because it's not that. It's a subject matter exchange. It also is not uh, meant to be a propaganda tour or something like that. It's not, like I mentioned, a VIP experience. It's not appropriate for individuals who are, let's say, trade delegations or trying to market goods and services uh, on behalf of a company. Obviously, that's, that's not the framework at all and what this is set up as. And you know, I think what I mentioned earlier, it's not really for individuals who are at the pinnacle of their career. It's for those mid-grade leaders. And one other nuance, too, is they cannot be U.S. citizens. So um, we've experienced sometimes where individuals, particularly in the Middle East, are dual citizens, and they also cannot qualify, unfortunately, for programs. And they must not be U.S. citizens in order to be nominated. This has been a great discussion, sir. I think uh, clearly this program has had success. It's been going for 80 years strong. Uh, we'll continue into the future, and it's a great piece of information to share with the civil affairs community and all the interagency partners listening. Something. Uh, a tangible deliver, deliverable that they can provide to the country team, being additional eyes and ears on the ground to find some right people for uh, these projects that you've talked about. Today's discussion has been with Lieutenant Colonel Marco Bongiovanni talking about the International Visitors Leadership Program that is sponsored by the Department of State. Colonel Bongiovanni is currently deployed in support of Operation Spartan Shield as Detachment Commander for the Civil Affairs Support Detachment Arsene in Camp Arif John Kuwait. Sir, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate your uh, being on the Once a Year podcast. Thank you. Thank you for your time, and thank you for the community's time as well. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. Check out the Civil Affairs Call for Issue Papers. The deadline to submit a paper is August 28th. Civil Affairs can find better integration as a force for influence, collaboration, and competition for convergent threats and challenges for multi-domain and information operations, now called Joint All-Domain Operations. As the nation's warrior diplomats, the CA Corps must modernize, especially for gray zone competition, and foster a learning organization. It must reinforce supported command understanding of CA Corps competencies and capabilities at tactical and operational levels. It must seize opportunities to be a greater force for influence through national strategic initiatives like the Stabilization Assistance Review and the Global Engagement Center. And it must help build an industrial base in applied social sciences and related technologies. The Civil Affairs Association and its partners invite civil military professionals to submit originally written issue papers. The deadline is August 28th. For more information, including paper guidelines, visit 
Civil Affairs, all one word, ASSOC.org. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.